Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's going on, guys and girls? Emphasis on girls today, Josh. is The topic of consideration or the topic we're going to talk about is actually one that I've been extremely interested in and actually one in which um, several females in the industry have actually reached out to me in the past and, and asked me about this. And you pitched this idea, and I think it's great. And it's I, I'm not going to say gender inequality in our space because I don't necessarily know if that's a fair way to put it, but it's predominantly men. I mean, sports nutrition is predominantly, I, I mean, if you throw a percentage on it, it was like 99% men, maybe higher than that. Yeah, I mean, I think if we think about traditional sports nutrition, it's very heavily weighted um, in the makeup of employees, um, you know, leadership, management, owners. Um, it has been traditionally like this good old boys club, which is kind of how it's always been. Right. But it's changing extremely fast. And I think it's one of those trends that anybody in the industry, especially like chauvinistic men, should probably really be paying attention to. Because, oh, boy. Um, Everybody's ears and eyes is raised right now, Josh. They're listening. Yeah, things are changing. And, and, and I'm, I don't want um, you and I to come from this place of like thinking that we are you know, better than anybody even bringing up this topic. I'm sure you and I have both said things or, or done things that would be questionable in a 2020 perspective. Um, so I'm not going to like do that throw the stones and glass house type perspective. But what I'll say is that gender diversity is coming very quickly in the industry and not just from the kind of employee ownership leadership team, but like just the consumers that are coming into the category, mm -hmm. if you're not paying attention to female, um, females, women that are coming into the category, you're going to miss out on a ton of opportunity. Yeah, I believe it's, I mean, if you div divvy it up, right, you have like your leadership teams, you have your employee base levels, and then you have kind of your consumers. Um, consumers are getting more and more women for sure. I mean, they're, and that's not to say like that it never had women. We've always had women, but I think some of the supplement brands were catering to women differently than they catered to men in terms of product formulation and pricing and, and, and sort of, and from my standpoint, it was extremely unfair. Um, so I think we can slice and dice that up in the three categories. I mean, if we start, start right away at the top in terms of leadership levels, I would guess, I mean, most people out there, if you're in the industry or maybe a fan of the industry, probably can't name many women that's part of a leadership team. Now, because Josh and I happen to work with some of the bigger supplement brands like Iovate and Glombia and things of that nature, there they have women in leadership roles or brand management roles. Um, I know Iovate specifically does. But when you think of ownership, I think maybe your mind might go to potentially Katie Hearn with Alani New. But the reality is I don't even think she's an owner. I think she – right? She's really – min Minority, but yeah, but not, not running the ship. Right, not running the ship. But I think a lot of people – and I think we've talked about this in the past about you know Corey Gregory, for instance, at Muscle Farm. I think everybody was convinced like that's the owner. They're the face of the company. And what I want to, what I say about that is like, look at what Katie Hearn does for Alani New, being the face of the company where the perception is she's the owner. They kill it. They do great. Um, you know, you can talk about GNC. I mean, I know they're in, they're in food, drug, mass, but it goes to show that having a, a female in a leadership position or a perceived leadership position can go a long way for a brand. Yeah. I think um, for me, there's actually a surprising amount of now women running some of the biggest companies in our space. Um, and this is probably not even really noticed um, or paid attention to, but if you think about on the like consumer brand side of things, 
like Bellring Brands, which owns the largest um, RTD protein and, and yep. diametized or whatever, is, is run, the CEO is Darcy Horn Davenport um, woman. Uh, she runs an extremely good company. It's growing uh, great. Then you have um, our biggest sports nutrition brand portfolio as a whole, Glambia, is again the CEO or whatever they call management director of, of in the UK company um, is Siobhan Talbot. Again, you got that. And then another one like female run is my uh, my protein. Um, oh yeah. Under uh, the Hut Group, um, uh, Lucy Gorman uh, runs that. So it's like three those three brands overall is like what's that four or five billion dollars right there. Um, so these lot. are like three of the you know the big, biggest ones out there. Then you have you know, of the two major U.S. retailers, um, the Vitamin Shop, their CEO is uh, Sharon Lee. It, again, so it's like one of these things where I think a lot of people are maybe not paying close enough attention because, like, some of the biggest, most influential businesses in our space are run by women. But for whatever reason, maybe they're not the loudest voices. Yeah, so then, yeah. So then you have the the they kind of fall back into the into the shadow a little bit and maybe. Um, pull a lot of the strings, but are not necessarily the ones out yelling um, and being the face of the sports nutrition industry. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think you know that's the that's the thing because you look at say Redcon for instance, right? Redcon one, Aaron Singerman, Silky Tuba. Like you can think of like they they have the readiness report. So you think them, but then if you look like a little bit deeper in the Redcon one, and you know you've been there, um, like their marketing team is ran by a female. Well, Ryan is obviously running it, but then his like go-to is a female, and which is great because if you look at some of the a lot of the marketing, especially in our space, it is uh, females are used a lot. There is a lot of images of females used in marketing, and so there's always been a disconnect in my book. It's like okay, you're 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 formulating products for females, you're targeting females, you're using them in your ads, but yet you don't have anybody on your team that's an actual female. So how do you? How do you actually speak to a female? And I think we've gotten a lot better um, in terms of – and I think it's, it's twofold. One is I think the industry has kind of softened up. It's not just like a, a good old boys club anymore. Like they realize that there is a lot of benefits to having a diverse workforce, and that's not just females, males. That's multicultural, ethnicities, et cetera. Um, but then like with the amount of females who are interested in sports nutrition because I think you, know, you go back 10, 15, 20 years – a female taking a supplement was weird. It was like a taboo. Like you were right. It was it was almost taboo even for men to take things like creatine. Now you have um, you have formulas being designed and formulated specifically for female, whether it be hormones or skin, nail. I mean, you look at Ghost, right? They just came out with with Glow. It's not specifically a female product by any means, but it speaks to them. And um, and they what's good about that is like they have females on their team, which help them in terms of the formulation and making this product what it is today. So. It's refreshing to me specifically because, you know, five years ago, if that question was asked, like, who, who females are in leadership positions or involved, like, you didn't have a lot of answers. There just really wasn't. So you just named off, yeah, $4 billion in business ran by, by females, which you can't argue. You can't argue bottom line. You can't argue the, the brands that you just listed are, are doing very well. Like, Vitamin Shop is doing decent, right? Like, you, you've done um, the financial analysis on that. So, like... We can't say much, and, and I guess the challenge would be is like I think you know you go back to like they're not the loudest. You think of some of the smaller brand owners on Instagram or Facebook. It's always men commenting, talking, and the women don't really step up and say much. Now I do know like on a smaller scale brand, 
Um, one female that comes to mind is like Devotion Nutrition. Dana owns that. Um, and she's done very well. It's, she's built it into a million dollar brand. Um, she's a little louder on social media, but outside of that, in terms of like smaller niche brands, kind of growing brands, it's, it's kind of hard to put my finger on the pulse of a female behind the scenes because there's just not a lot of them either being loud or there's just not a lot there. Yeah. One that came to mind, I guess, in terms of probably one that speaks out decently is like, uh, Sarah Bomar, oh, yeah, Bomar yeah. nutrition. Yeah. Um, she does, uh, pretty good at like kind of crossing the lines. Um, the, the brand is not necessarily for females. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the vast majority of her customer base is, is females, but she walks the line, I think both as a competitor and, and just kind of, um, her, I think it's her husband or so that I think they have a good mix in terms of their communication. But, um, yeah, I mean, you brought up a few points in terms of just the category as a whole. I think there's been this transition recently um, of what we would consider like sports nutrition over to like active nutrition, mm -hmm. which is like softened the word a lot. And active nutrition then brings in a lot of like mainstream consumers. And the idea of what they think of a sports nutrition product is very different than what you and I did getting into the category almost 20 years ago. We, we think about sports nutrition products much differently. So I think that kind of helps it. I think a lot of the transition to like ready to eat and ready to drinks, um, again, has really eroded at some of that. And then you have just the, I think the, the ability to like target those audiences a lot better, you know, with social media and everything, I think then it gives you a chance then to like actually try to target a certain demographic, a certain gender that creates more brands out there. You and I, I think because of, of the bias in terms of our gender, we tend not to talk a lot about like the female product side of our space, but there is, um, there's a lot of brands that are kind of getting created out there that are, that are doing really well, that are, that are kind of raising a lot of capital and, and are thinking about the business in a much different way, which I think is extremely important because those are the ideas I think that are going to push everybody their game better. And, and the, the more legit, the more everybody steps up their game, I think the better everybody becomes. I think us always being in an echo chamber of like the same ideas keeps you in this like niche that you're never able to expand out of. Now I think we should invite a lot more of that mm -hmm. because it ultimately provides uh, a lot more opportunities in the future. One area that I think is interesting is, is looking across our space and looking to see who's in charge and wondering have have any of those individuals ever worked for a woman because i think like you, when you work for a woman or a female like it gives you a different perspective or worked with maybe even so for instance like my time at mills my two leads my two bosses were both female and they were fantastic and they were brilliant driven and for me it's like you know, you get that experience hands-on working under somebody or with somebody that has those skill sets and that experience and that they're, they're good at what they do. It, it kind of eliminates like that stupid bias that we've developed over the years of like, oh, males are better than people. Cause that's not true. Like, I mean, have you, so you've worked multiple jobs before coming into the space. Like was any of your direct, like you report directly to females? Yeah, I think I got a, a really good taste of it early on working on like the, in the professional services, like uh, big four accounting firms and, mm -hmm. and things of that nature. When that, I think, has a very big amount of diversity in terms of like your management level, your directors and things like that. So you tend to really look at your projects and work um, 
differently in, in, in the way that they manage things, um, I think provides the opportunity for that to be a little bit more a diverse um, industry um, just because of your, your work kind of speaks for itself type right. of situation. Um, so I, I got a taste of it really early on and I've always, um, I think it's different now that like working for myself for so long that it's you know a little bit tough, but I mean, the clients that I've worked for, a lot of them have had um, a good amount of gender diversity. And I've always appreciated that because when you do get into the conversations, especially now with like different product launches or whatever, you're not all, you're not just like going after males, like you know, 95% males anymore. Like you need to understand are the ways that you're saying different marketing or, or the way that the brand uh, packaging looks like, is it going to turn off? Is it going to actually just put you into this like spot that you don't want? And it's going to alienate a whole new group of buyers. Like, and if you don't have those voices, you tend to just like not even realize it. You just tend to just move over. And I, again, that's probably just one of those things that is going to push us forward the more hopefully that we have um, there. And, and and I don't know if it's an interest thing of, of, of like, um, I, I think about a lot of times with like the tech world and, and they have like, a, they always talk about the lack of diversity in, in programmers and things like that. And, and the argument is always like, the um, pool of talent is not there or whatever. And I don't think that's the case for what we're talking about. I think it's just a matter of probably maybe um, some stigmas and mm -hmm. things that need to be broken down because um, think about when you and I got into the industry, um, some of the first experiences about why we work in the industry now is we went to trade shows. Yeah. Think about the way that females are treated in our industry at trade shows. Mm -hmm. um, that then creates this culture, like subconsciously in your mind of like the booth bunny mentality of mm -hmm. like you use them as sex objects. Yep. And I and I think over time, if you look at a, a trade show in 2020 and you look at one in 2005, it's progressed, it's gotten much better, but you still see a lot of people that utilize, we talked about this in one of our first podcast episodes, like sex and advertising, like yep. how it's still utilized today. It might be a little bit different than when it was a couple decades ago, but you still see this objectification of women. Yeah. I mean, it's, it starts with the fitness industry. I mean, you look at the biggest trade show in our space, which is going to be Olympia weekend typically. And then you look at the actual Olympia competition. I mean, women are treated completely different in terms of competitors. For instance, pay hugely different. Some of them don't even get tables. Like, I mean, so, and that trickles down, that trickles down. And, and you mentioned too, like trade shows, you have the booth bunny mentality. It's like, Males were there to be sales reps, to mingle, to make deals, and females were to be the ones to entertain at the booths. And, and that's unfair. Like, it's super unfair, but that's how it's been seen. And it hasn't it, – yes, it's changing, but it's still that way. I mean, this is not at all – this is their marketing strategy. I know you're a fan of the brand, but you look at, like, Bang, for instance, right? You've gone to a Bang booth, bunch of women just dancing around. But there's men too. Uh, but, but, you know, there, people go there to watch – for the women. Now, I don't know how many women are involved in Jack's leadership team or at corporate. I'm assuming probably quite a few. There has to be. I would think that he's pretty diverse with that, but I've never worked for VPX, so I, I don't know, and you might know better than I do. But, you know, one of the largest brands in the space that, that has um, transcended that category and kind of like went over into food drug mass and is doing very, very well still has that booth bunny mentality at trade shows. That, that goes a long way. So, you know, I bring up like working for a female because at the end of the day, males and females are drastically different. I mean, we are complex creatures, but in different ways. And that's not a bad thing, but 
you know, this is probably a stigma. Like men, we always say, like, we're simple. Give us a can of beer and a, a TV remote and we're good. And, but, you know, that's not necessarily true. But I'm saying, like, women bring a perspective that as hard as you and I try, Josh, we just can never get. Like, we just never can come up with it because we don't live in their shoes. We don't experience the things that they experience. So it's awesome to have their point of view. Now, it's also tough being a male then to accept that point of view because you've been led down this path your whole, whole life in this industry thinking you know, a certain way, and now you have this totally different perspective coming in from a female, and you've just never heard that before. So you have a hard time maybe trying to grasp that. I encourage all brand owners to, like, to, to, to accept that, to encourage those thoughts and ideas from others in your, in, in your staff. It can be males too, but like, I mean, there are a lot of cool perspectives that they can bring to the table. And, and obviously working under several females in my professional career, they brought things to the table that I just never would have thought of. And I, I, I feel like I'm a pretty smart cat, uh, but there's just perspectives, there's experiences that I've never lived through that I don't understand, that I can't fully comprehend, but they can. And I think it's, it's cool, especially now with the way that we're, because at the end of the day, sports nutrition is as niche as it is. It is a CPG category, like it is a consumer product good. Like, and there are you look at the Fortune 500 companies in in CPG, they are filled with men and women, in both the the C suites, regular brand management, like all over, and they do fairly well. So why are we why are we behind the times? And I think it's because of the culture that's been built over years and years and years. Yeah, I definitely think that there's the culture element that has to be overcome, and just it's a lot of work that needs to be done on that side of things. I also think, you know, we're talking about a subcategory that's fairly uh, new. It's it's extremely um, still kind of evolving. And if you think about just the the female subcategory of the subcategory, it's even more new. I was trying to think back of like what was the first, you know, female marketed sports nutrition brand, Ooh. and it, and I was. I racked my brain a little bit, and I think the only things that I could come back with, and, and people might correct us and say, oh, you know, these people did this or that or whatever, but I, I thought about two brands that launched right around the same time, one that I was a part of, um, and then the other one mm -hmm. that yep. was kind of there was you had NLA for her, which I think superseded Fitness, which was by yep. Muscle Farm, by a couple months. But those were two of the first, I think um, – fully women product lines. So they weren't just like one product or whatever. It was a whole line specifically for um, women. They both came out in 2003. But if you think about that time frame, I mean, I'll just kind of speak from my point of view on the muscle farm thing, because I, I don't want to speak for the guys over at um, NLA for her that built that. But uh, we had it. We definitely had some things that we did that if you look at it from a 2020 perspective, is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. First, we totally utilized pink it and shrink it. Like the product was yeah. black and pink. We had most of the formulas that were basically like half dosages or, or whatever of like products we already had in our lineup. We changed some flavors around or whatever, but a lot of it was like, let's create a, economies of scale with some of our existing products at Muscle Farm and just do that. Second, those products were priced um, at or above what the muscle farm products were. So you had this like idea of like the pink tax, like where you basically mm. utilize, um, if you put pink on it, you could charge more for it because it's segmented towards one category. We did both of those things in 2013. And that's, if we look at that from a lens of 2020, I would feel ashamed to, to do that in 2020. But back then, I don't think any of us were even aware of those two things being incorrect. I think it was just a matter of, 
we were segmenting the market. We were offering something that nobody else had. So there was like a differentiation point. And we also thought, hey, this is what we thought the females wanted. We had input from some of the female staff members and some of the female athletes or whatever. And none of them really spoke up and said things that were different because I don't think at that time there was really anything to like peg it against. That was all that was, like, they were just excited that somebody was thinking about product lines specifically for them. It wasn't like, oh, well, we don't need different products or we don't need any of that. That, that wasn't a conversation. Mm. It's so funny that you bring it up because I, I remember those brands. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, back then it was like, okay, whatever, it's caring to me. And the price premium, I mean, I think, I wish I would look this up before we did this show, but the, the buying power, the spending power of a female versus a male in a relationship. Right. I mean, it's 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 night and day different. I think the averages, I think the female controls the checkbook. Right. Like, I mean, they are the ones who essentially make 80 percent of the purchase decisions in the house. It might be yeah, I think it's that. somewhere around, somewhere around 80 percent of the wallet is controlled by a female. Yeah. And that's huge. And I think, you know, this industry has neglected that for a long time and they you know, they care to that 20 percent. Now, males, yes, we're spending money, but you develop something that 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 speaks to a female using the right messaging, you can half dose the shit and you can overcharge for it and they're going to pay for it. That's not right. It still happens today, but it happens all the time. Case, I mean, I just want to say like, I run a, a, a peanut butter brand, Josh, and it's $15 a tub. Now it's worth $15 a tub because there's a lot of, in terms of ingredients, but the amount of money that females will spend on this product versus males, like I've, I've heard males do YouTube reviews saying it's, it's fucking expensive. Yes, but you also are the one who's going to go to the Walmart and buy Jif and Skippy. You're not my customer. Females will drop over $100 on a single order for peanut butter. That says a lot. Like, for me, in my head, my business brain is like, I hit a gold mine. Like, I create a product that is used every single day, predominantly by women 18 to 35. Not to mention, on the brand that I've created, it's owned 50% by my fiance, who's a female, who also is on Instagram and out there, which... It kills. Like, it, it does us so well um, with direct-to-consumer. Now, with that, our direct-to-consumer model does very well having Danielle on there. But here's an example. I'm not going to call out the retail store. But Danielle reached out to the retail store to try to get a PO. No response. One email from a male, me, response. Now, I'm not saying that was intentional. But, um, and, and she sent two emails, and I sent one. So you can't tell me they didn't get it. They definitely got it. And maybe it was the way we word our emails or whatever. But it's like still, there's still that stigma in this space. Like if a female approaches a retail store, are they being taken seriously? And I don't know if they are. And I, I actually will say that they're not. I would say for the majority of uh, the majority of it, like they're not being taken seriously. And I'm, I'm thinking now in terms of sales staff, like ex external uh, up on salespeople for, for brands. I don't know if I know a single female. That's an Alpine sales. Yeah. I, I, when you're mentioning that story, I was thinking about a, a client just in the last couple of weeks was making a mention about um, what was happening around a contract manufacturer. They had uh, a female in their, on their team that was just kind of given a new set of duties, um, has been running a lot of like the purchase orders and things for their products. Um, they were getting different prices based on that female and when the owner would step in and do it as a male. And it was one of these things where um, I had to go to the top of, of – I knew that contract manufacturer, the owner, and just basically put a lot of their people on blast and was like, that's just wrong. Like, yeah. It's just – it's uncalled for. Like somebody if, – especially if it's an employee of the same um, 
company, that is an extension of that CEO. It's not like that employee is just doing that thing on their own. It's, it's, there's, that is, they're being asked to do that by somebody above them, and you, they already know the owner of the company, so it's like they act as the same. It's like that was like a blatant thing to me. I was like, I, I don't know how somebody sleeps at night by doing you know, something like that. And you made a, you made a comment also around like the, how the pink tax and stuff is still kind of going on. And, and sometimes it's, I think, utilized um, correctly. And then in other ways, I, maybe it was a year, year and a half ago, I made a video on my channel around the pink tax. And I looked at, and this is very like fundamental, like wasn't a really good analysis, but I took the top, I think, 20 or, or 25 uh, pre-workouts that were on Amazon. And I basically just typed in two um, non-branded search terms. just pre-workout and then took the price points there. And then women's pre-workout took the price points again on the top 25 sellers. And there was like a 17% or so um, price increase on the women's yep. uh, pre-workouts. And that to me just real made me realize it's still happening today, um, maybe not as big and as blatant as it used to be, but I think it's, it's still happening. But, um, it'd be interesting, Josh, on that to go a step further. And, and then if you're able to figure out what's the cost of formulation for each of those products too, right? Like what's the, the this, this yeah. non-branded pre-workout costs, this, the top female one costs this, which is 17% more, but the cost to create that product, this one over here, the female one costs, you know, 70% less than this one. I mean, that's, that's really where you get that gap. Yeah, it, it was, it was opening my eyes at least like on that basic analysis but like to your point i mean i think if i took it a few steps further it probably open up a lot of people's eyes they'd be yeah. like what the heck is going on here um but i think that this is all driving females to really like dig in and kind of support their own and, and kind of create their own ideas and and just kind of pave their own path i guess or mm -hmm. you have um there's a few brands that i always like point out to people when when i start to talk about um, brands with some new clients and they're talking about, um, you know, creating maybe a female products or, Oh, I'd love to do a beauty, you know, uh, line extension or, or something like that. I point them towards a lot of products that would be very much hardcore female products. And, and a few of them, like one that I, I tend to look at because I think they speak the language very well. I do like, it's called hum nutrition. Like I know you maybe not heard of it. Maybe yeah. you have, cause maybe I've mentioned it before, but the, um, the way that they speak to their customers, the way that their um, labels are laid out, the product names, everything is like, you, you can take a lot of inspiration and it shows just how different they're doing things than the traditional sports nutrition brands. And there's a ton of other ones you can kind of point to with like um, like Ritual or, or Moon Juice and even like looking at Alani New. If you look at Alani New now in 2020 and you look at Fitness in 2013 or, or NLA for her in 2013, it's so much different. Mm -hmm. The way that they uh, are laid out, the way that they look, the way that they're just every single element of it just looks like it's a totally different world. And that's only seven years. So in seven more years, it should be crazy how much influence that they have over the whole industry. It's come a long way for sure. I, I mean, I'm thinking like, man, I haven't seen LA for her in forever. So when you bring it up, I'm just like, okay. And I, I can remember like, Labrada had their lean body with Jamie Eason. That was a pretty big um, thing because then they actually had a female on there. And I think, you know, that was an RTD, and I think they did fairly well with that. I don't know how it does anymore. But um, there's not, you know, it's because they were very, you guys were very intentional on fitness. Like, this is who we're going after. Alani knew a little intentional, but I see males 
using like their energy drinks and you know some of the products I would never have seen a male use fitness or NLA for her because it's very like this is who takes this product so I think a lot of new has done a really good job of, of being like more soft in terms of like yes we are maybe geared more towards females but like males can use this stuff too and um, they have so I think that's that's a good formula for success um, but again like Katie Hearn on that brand being involved I think helps and I, I, I guess the takeaway for this entire episode is I think We've made some progress, um, and if you look at some of the bigger companies, they are being ran uh, by females, but I think we still have a long ways to go. And that's not just sports nutrition. That's the entire fitness industry in general. I think it is predominantly men. Starts with your bodybuilding shows to your supplement companies. Um, you know, and, and my challenge would be if you are a brand owner out there and you have a rock star on your staff, not that you have to treat them any differently, but like – let people know. Like, why not? Like, highlight them. Employee of the month. I don't care what you do, but it'd be nice for us, like Josh and I, to see, like, oh, awesome. Like, Nutribio's got these, like, I know they're in their QC. Um, their doctorates are females. or They have one there. That's, but nobody would know that unless you went there. And I think that's, that's cool because that's such an important spot to be in and such an important position for Nutribio is that quality assurance um, and, and testing of that product. So, I mean – yeah, maybe they're not selling. Maybe they're not on Instagram hooting and hollering, but they're doing a very important key role for that brand and company um, that's, that's being done by a female. So, I mean, I encourage you to, like, highlight some of that talent that you have and let people know because is it, I don't think it's being selfish by any reasons or being, like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's not bad to do that, but I think it, more people would appreciate. Like, you know, you look at Redcon again, going back to them. Like, they come off as a hardcore male brand. I mean, they have a ton of female ambassadors, though. Like, their affiliate program, their tier operators, a lot of females are on it. But you, besides, um, you know, besides Aaron's, Aaron's wife, who's amazing, like, she's, Darielle is on the brand a little bit here, too, but you don't see a lot of that. And I know Aaron does a good job of trying to show it on his personal page, but it'd be cool to see, like, more these big $100 million brands. Who, who's involved? Who's doing some of the stuff behind the scenes? I appreciate that stuff as a consumer. I appreciate that as a person that who likes business. And I think the more and more quote unquote transparent we are as, as brands, like we should start showing and celebrating those things that we have within our own, within our own ecosystem. Yeah. It reminds me of what we were t- talking about with like purpose driven mm-hmm. things where a lot of it comes down to like, it's the lack of the storytelling. It's the lack of amplifying it. Like, a lot of these things um, for people that maybe are doing the right things, they don't think to highlight what they're doing because they are just doing what they would always do. And they're just, you know, they, they do have a diverse um, set of employees and they do um, you know, give back to charities and they do all that. But in today's world, I think because people are selecting who they support by, you know, who they surround themselves with, the thoughts and everything, they need to know those things. So if you are um, putting, you know, women in, in leadership roles, um, if you are you know, behind some charity, whatever it is, like, talk about it, like, yeah. you know, promote the brag a little bit, I guess, like of being a good person. I know that sounds counterintuitive for a lot of people, but like in today's noisy world, you need to know those things. If not, you're going to move on to the next brand that is doing it if you want to support people that are, are doing certain things. So I think it's a matter of just amplifying that story, like to to the level so people know. Yeah, and I think my last point would be is if, you, if say you're, the women aren't being utilized in, in a, a payroll role, right, but you have ambassadors or key figures on the brand who are female, um, 
celebrate that too if they're doing good. Like, I mean, females are more than just a pretty face. Uh, for instance, like, I think Jamie Easton did really well for LeBron. Yes, she was a great looking female. She stood for a lot, but she also seemed educated on what she was talking about. And you look at like arms race nutrition, they, they have this, um, we'll call her an ambassador. She actually works out at my gym. Um, Mrs. Sweeney Dog, Mrs. Sweeney. Like, she is. She has done like a Q&A with Kenton, and you know how Kenton speaks and, and how articulate he is and how smart he is, and she just kept up with him on sports nutrition and why women should be taking these things and the benefits of that. Like that is content and education coming straight from the source that – and yes, she's a good-looking female, and she's you know, obviously in shape, but like that's things like Doug Miller and that team at Arms Race. They're highlighting that because that's going to help that brand so much having – a female on the brand, albeit an ambassador role, but one that can actually speak about the products in an educational point of view and not just a pretty face. So I think there's multiple ways to do it. I'd like to see them in leadership roles. I'd like to see them on the payroll. But if you're going to have females representing the brand in an ambassador role, try to get the most of them. And the most of them is more than just posting a pretty Instagram pic. Like do some interactive stuff with it. So I've always given like – I tip my hat to like Arms Race and, and Kenton and Doug and Julian and those guys were there for doing that because when I saw that, I was like, it's a breath of fresh air. To see a female on Instagram doing what I do, you know, and like there should be more of that. And that's why you look at like we brought a woman on women plural on fitness informant a year ago. Price Plow now has um, has has a female on there. We recognize like it's true. It's here. It's going to stay like we need females speaking to that female audience because, quite frankly, I'm not the one that should be having that conversation. It should be them. Yeah, definitely. podcast we're on itunes spotify podbean stitcher youtube google podcast and more follow us along on our social media channels we're on facebook two guys one cup instagram and twitter